Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, May 15th. 2019. Contestants number three, 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest coming up. This one's a sneaky bad one. I mean, yesterday's Jen Hatmaker was just explicitly bad. This one's sneaky bad. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, <gasps> self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. There's just a whole lot of deception going on out there, and we're trying to save you a whole lot of eternal grief uh, because false Jesuses and false gospels and false doctrine can't save you. In fact, it can damn you. That's, uh, that's most certainly true. So we are now dead center of our worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, and we've heard from Perry Noble, we've heard from Jen Hatmaker. Today we will be hearing from Chris Hodges of uh, Church of the Highlands out there in Alabama, and the name of his message is Do You Love Me? This is a sneaky bad one, and I and I mean that because he is, Chris Hodges is just the most likable guy Ever, I mean, he there's he just he doesn't seem pretentious. He doesn't seem ornery and you know narcissistic like Perry Noble or you know James McDonald or anybody like that or Stephen Furtick. I mean, he this guy just seems like an ah shucks you know good wholesome as milk and graham crackers kind of guy. But this is an utter confusion of law and gospel and the gospel he's preaching. 
is not the gospel. It's the law. So, yeah, that's just, you, all I can say is you better hang on. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, keep that in mind. So let's get to it, and, uh, and we'll dive into contestant number three here. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, contestant number three in the 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest, Chris Hodges' sermon titled, Do You Love Me? Do You Love Me? And just so you know, he's not looking at the text in the Gospel of John, post-resurrection appearance, where Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? No, that's not what he's preaching on. (laughs) He's going to be preaching the law, thinking it's the Gospel. And we'll explain that along the way. And like I said, sneaky bad, very slippery deception in this one. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Chris Hodges. And do you love me? I'm doing a lot of study, actually a lot of study right now on the topic of depression and anxiety and stress. Um, I'm having lots of, unfortunately, a lots of conversation with pastors as well. They say that more than 90% of all pastors are lonely and 70% are chronically depressed. In fact, they say 50% would do something else, but they don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> that's funnier to me than it is for anybody else, but I think that's hilarious. Uh, but but it's, it is actually um, not good what's going on. And even in a lot of people's lives, there's a lot of depression, anxiety. It, it, it always exists, right? Because that's just what you call planet Earth. But it seems to be on the rise. Um, and I, so I'm just doing a lot of study. I think I'm going to end up doing a series this fall on the topic of stress. Here's the question I need from you seriously. And that is, what are the greatest areas of stress that people are experiencing? So if we are to dive into this, help me direct, direct me a little bit as I go to my study and prepare these, this um, series. In fact, I think I'm even going to write a book on the subject. So as part of his Easter sermon, he's basically soliciting answers to the question about anxiety, stress, and depression so that he can write a sermon series and write a book. Yeah, that's weird. Because I just think it's so needed in our society today. Here's the second question. And that is, um, is, I'm so passionate about this, you can't even imagine. I love connecting people to God. I'm not here really to build a church. I'm here to help you get to know God in a personal way. A lot of people talk about the barriers. Like things like, I don't understand the Bible. Or I really don't know how to pray. So I have this belief that everybody really wants God. Every, I think everybody does, honestly, because you have a part of God inside of you. you can, if you're an atheist, you can't take it out of you. It is in you. There's no way you can get away from the fact that God has already set eternity into your heart. You're, the rest of your life, you're going to wonder. You're going to long for. You're going to seek after, right? It's there, but most people have a hard time. What, what makes it hard? Help me out because I am going to take that information and help people overcome the issues, the hangups, the barriers, the things that keep people from getting to know God, that really 
honestly helps me more than you could possibly know. And the third one is just there for your convenience, that if you're someone who's on this spiritual journey and you'd like to take some steps and you just need the information, there's no guarantee you'll either want to do it. You just want to know if I did it, give me the details, Uh, check some of the things there and we'll make sure that no one calls you. No one comes by your house, but we'll make sure you know what those next steps are. Got it? All right. So just hang on to that card from now. Uh, we'll get back to it at the very end of the service. We are actually finishing a four-part series called What's Next. Uh, we just released a book this past week called What's Next in the belief that and the truth. So your Easter sermon is... um. <laughs> Uh, part of a book that you've just released called What's Next? It's that, that God has a spiritual journey for you. And what you need is the clarity to know where you are on that journey and what's next. Here, here's the theme verse we've been looking at. And that is that if people can't see what God is doing. So God has a plan for your life. And if you can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. So your marriage stumbles, your emotions stumble. If you can't see what God is doing. <laughs> this is a weird twisting of Henry Blackaby's theology. Man, this is a mess. Your money stumbles, your dreams stumble. Everything in your life seems chaotic and messy. And it's, listen to me, the mess isn't the problem. The lack of clarity for what you should do other than the mess is the problem. The issue is, the reason why our, our lives are messes at times and in general, it, 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 nothing seems to go exactly as it should, is due to the fact that we are under a curse because of our sinful rebellion against God. And the solution that God has given for the problem we created is that he sent his only begotten son into the flesh to bleed and to die for our sins so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal Life And he not only was crucified, he rose bodily from the grave on the third day after he was crucified. And, and because of this, we are promised you know, a complete reconciliation between ourselves and God. Our sins are forgiven, and we've been given the gift of eternal life. God, God wants to give all of us a clarity and an understanding, because when you attend to what he reveals, those are the people that are the most fulfilled, the most blessed, the most content is when you understand the journey. So in this series, we've given you the journey. And this is not something we made up. This is in the Bible, cover to cover, Old Testament and you. God has always wanted four things for your life. We've done them in reverse order so you can begin with the end in mind. So in week number one, we talked about the fact that God's ultimate plan for your life is to live your life in such a way where your life matters and makes a difference. Um, what? God, God, huh, what? Okay. And trust me, you can't make enough money, have enough cars, go on enough trips to find real happiness and fulfillment. Happiness and fulfillment. Secular sociologists confirm this, that the happiest people on the planet are people who feel like their life is doing something that makes a difference in other people's lives. So rather than the Great Commission being going and making disciples, we're called to go and make a difference. Check. And so, but only God can help you get there to make a real difference with your life. You can't make a difference if you don't know what your role in difference making is. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to have to talk to God to find out what my role in difference making is. Really. So Psalm 139 says that God created your inmost being. He knitted you together while you were still in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, watch this, has a plan for your life. Or the way we like to say it is a purpose for your life. And here's the cool part. You can't find it unless you talk to him. Because He, the creation has to get connected to the creator. Come on, say amen right there, right? So God has given you a purpose and you can't figure out what your purpose is until you actually communicate to God and then you'll discover your purpose. Where does it say that in the Bible exactly? You got you got to know him and get connected to him to find out what that purpose actually is. And we talked about how God reveals his purpose to us in the second week of the series. Last week we talked about Really, I think one of the most important parts is that you can't see tomorrow if you're still dealing with yesterday. We call it fine freedom. Okay. That most people are stuck, not in the fact that they don't want to do something that matters. I'm still dealing with my mess, my hangups, my addictions. You mean sins, the things that Christ bled and died for and rose bodily for, from the grave for, right? That's what you're talking about. Sin, right? My habits. I had somebody tell me, Pastor Chris, you trust me. You don't want me involved. My life, my life is a mess. Listen to me. All of our lives were a mess before Jesus. But too many of you are stuck in your mess. You're, you're, still, you're still looking in the rearview mirror. You got your hangups. You got your faults, your addictions. They're called sin. Your habits. And listen to me. I'm, I mean this. I, as the, one guy said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not just preaching to you, right? You know, I just want you to, I want you to, why is that so funny to me in my mind? But anyway, I really would love for you to lean into the fact that it's time. Like, well, don't you think, why couldn't this be the year that you're not defined any longer by that addiction and that habit and that mess and that part of your life that you know you know, if it wasn't in your life, your life would be so much better. And really, God has come. The power of the cross has come for you to be set free. The power of the cross has come. What is the power of the cross? Can you define that phrase? I mean, it's Easter Sunday. You might want to talk about that. And we would love to take you on that spiritual journey to truly find freedom. But none of that can happen without this first one. And I've saved this one for Easter Sunday. All right. So he saved this one for Easter Sunday. So the first, this is step one. He did these out of order. Okay. I've saved this topic. It is the topic that I'm most passionate about of any other topic. In fact, let me say it this way. If I could had only the opportunity to preach one more time, you're getting ready to hear the message that I would give. I cannot think of anything more important in the entire Bible than what I'm getting ready to tell you. That all of this begins with the first step in the spiritual journey and that, and that step is repentance, the forgiveness of sins, being regenerated by God the Holy Spirit through the word of Christ, right? That, that's what you're, you're going to talk about, right? Let me back this up. That all of this begins with the first step in the spiritual journey, and that is for you to know God. For me to know God. Okay, um, so step one is I need to know God. Hmm. I seem to recall something about Jesus saying to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name. Yeah, it's in the Gospel of Luke, by the way. 
Luke's version of the uh, Great Commandment. And it's not Great Commandment, Great Commission, Great Commission. And you, you can find this in uh, Luke 24, starting in vor- verse 46. Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, repentance and the forgiveness of sin. It just seems you know, kind of basic, right? Then, then you think of maybe like the uh, the book of Acts, you know, chapter sixteen. Here, here we have um, a, a great account of the apostle Paul and Silas uh, being sent by God to the city of Philippi, being sent to uh, Macedonia, and uh, I'll, I'll read out a portion of this so you can kind of get the idea here, because I mean, there, there's a very specific thing that goes on. So uh, setting sail from Troas, uh, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. This is Acts 16.11. Uh, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, to come to, uh, come to my house, and she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city, and and they advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders to have them beaten with rods, and when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks, and about midnight and Paul, uh, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, that the, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened, and when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out, With a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Huh? So, um... Yeah, repentance and the forgiveness of sins leads to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. And uh, and so you'll you'll note that's kind of how this all worked out. But um, this is weird. Chris Hodges, 
here says that step number one in your spiritual journey is to know God. A-N-O-W. Let me back this up. Listen again. That all of this begins with the first step in the spiritual journey, and that is for you to know God. Huh. To know God. And the emphasis on the word, know. And I'm getting ready to share something with you that may shock some of you. I'm going to share something with you that perhaps some of you never knew. I didn't know it after I'd been in church for a very long time. No one told me this. I did not understand that this is what Christianity really was all about. When, when, when Jesus talked about having this relationship with God or becoming a Christian, this is the word he used. When the apostle Paul talked about your relationship with God, he used the word no. Now that doesn't shock any of you in this room. Because we don't understand the word like they did in the Bible days. In the Bible days, Jesus used the word. I'm going to show it to you in the, in the original language that your New Testament is in. So the original manuscripts of the New Testament is in the Greek language. And the Greek word, there it is right there. And it's pronounced in English, gnosko. This is the Greek word. I actually took three semesters of Greek in seminary. And, and, and that's still Greek to me. All right, so anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> But, but the word gnosko, so I looked it up. So the word gnosko uh, was a Jewish idiom that you, they would use to actually be polite about talking about the relations that a husband and wife would have where they would conceive and have a child. Now, I need to clear, clean this up. What he just said is accurate-ish. And, and what I mean by that, let me back it up. Listen again to the claim. Uh, it was a Jewish idiom. That you, they would use to actually be polite about talking about the relations that a husband and wife would have where they would conceive and have a child. All right. So it is absolutely true that in Hebrew, they would use the word no, yadea, and they would use that word, or yada, uh, and for the purpose of, you know, kind of euphemistically or idiomatically referring to. Uh, human sexual relations, intimacy. Uh, you can see an example of that, by the way, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And so you'll see over and again the uh, Hebrew word uh, yada being used in this sense. But the problem is, is that it is not merely used idiomatically in this way. Let, let me explain. If I were to say to you, I know Hebrew. That's what that means. I know Hebrew. I am not saying that I am having intimate sexual relations with the Hebrew language. I'm just merely saying that I know Hebrew. And it is true that in Greek, the New Testament Christians and the apostles would use the word gnosko in a similar way. And the understanding is, is that you know, it, it, there's, you know, knowledge is to be an intimate knowledge of Christ. However, the word gnosko itself doesn't carry with it that implication unless it's being used as an idiom in that way. So gnosko itself, it could mean to arrive at a knowledge of someone or something, 
to know, to know about, or to make the acquaintance of. This is what uh, the, the BDAG lexicon says. Uh, Gnosko can mean to acquire information through some means, to learn of something, to ascertain or to find out. It could also mean to grasp the significance of the meaning of something, to understand or to comprehend. Or it could be to be aware of something, or to perceive, or to notice, or to realize. And then the fifth possible definition is that idiomatic use, that euphemistic way to have sexual intercourse, to have sex or marital relations. It's an euphemistic way of talking about it, but that's only one of its potential meanings. And the context is going to determine that. And just because somebody uses the word gnosko doesn't mean that they are automatically using the word euphemistically regarding, you know, sexual relations. That's 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 not how that word works. And so, you know, when a Hebrew New Testament Christian is using the word gnosko in that way. They're using it in the similar way yada is used, you know, euphemistically. And it, it, but that's not the only use for yada as well. You know, yada almost has like the same identical set of possible definitions as gnosko does. It just depends on the context. So what he's saying here is accurate-ish, but the context is going to determine it. So listen to what he's going to say here, because what he's going to say at, at first is accurate-ish, but then he's going to misapply the uh, the definition. Uh, it was a Jewish idiom that you, they would use to actually be polite about talking about the relations that a husband and wife would have where they would conceive and have a child. But they didn't want to say it that way, so they used the word gnosko. In other words, they got close. That's what That, that was the word they used to just to say it in a nice way. And when Jesus came along and talked about having a relationship with God... Well, that was the word he used. Yeah, when that they may know God, Gnosko. Yeah, it doesn't in the context. You're you're it. It's not talking about sexual relations with God. That's not it at all. The other con, you know, the other definitions come into play because the context is that it's not referring to sexual relations. To which the crowd would have went, oh, what? No, they wouldn't have, because Gnosko has so many other non-sexual meanings in everyday usage. Well, that was the word he used. To which the crowd would have went, oh, what? Because to them, God was far. God was distant. God was big. God was holy, and we're not. God is up there, and we're down here. God, God didn't even like you. God didn't even want you. You're, you're just trying to make your way toward God and say, and Jesus came along and said, no, 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 no. He wants to get intimate with you. Uh, no, see, that's creepy. Um, God does not want to get intimate with you in that way because uh, that's basically talking about erotic love. God does not have erotic love for his creation. Close with you. Relation with you. And then Jesus went so far to say that actually this is the condition for eternal life. He said in Matthew 7, not everyone who calls him Lord is going to go to heaven. Well, that's a problem. That's what they told me to do, right? That's what I, I thought that's how you get there. And he goes, no, no, no. But only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. What is that will? He goes on and he says, 
many. The will of God is that they believe in the one whom the Father has sent, Christ. What are you talking about? Now, it's important to note here, when we summarize the law of God, Jesus summarized it for us, all of the law hangs on two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is law. That's not the gospel. And you sit there and go, well, I mean, love is an important thing. I'm not saying it isn't. But the thing is, is that the reason why you need a Savior is because you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you definitely do not love your neighbor as yourself. No way. So you fall short of that. That's the standard. Love is the command. You ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. So the gospel is the announcement then that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The good news is that Christ died for our sins and that Jesus rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, for our justification. It is not, the command is to love, and you don't. And so what what Chris Hodges is doing here is setting up a schema where salvation is based upon your intimate love for God, which is law. This is salvation by works, salvation by intimate love towards God, rather than salvation by grace through faith, which is belief and trust in God. Big difference. Many are going to show up on judgment day and say, Lord, there you are. Lord, Lord. Hey, I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons in your name. Yeah. You know, you think of the NAR folks. Mm hmm. I did miracles in your name. And you can put any other church thing on that list. I went to church in your name. I sang your songs. I read your book. I prayed your prayers. And he's going, no, 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 no. I wasn't looking for all of that. You, you thought that was the condition. And unfortunately, and this is why I'm just trying to say it so urgently today, because there's many, it's not even a few, it's most, are going to have shown up there basing their faith on the wrong thing. And then Jesus, this is Jesus talking now. He says, and then I will tell them plainly, I never, and then he uses the word. Knew you. Yeah, I never knew you. I was looking for, I wasn't looking for that. I was, you know, man. So basically he's ignoring all of the clear passages. He's misunderstood how Gnosko is being used in that context in the Sermon on the Mount and thinking that that then becomes the requirement that that you have intimate love and knowledge of God, uh, which is the requirement for salvation. But that's law. That's not the gospel. That's a requirement that you've got to keep, not a gift given by grace through faith. I was looking for your heart. I was, I was looking for a relationship. That God isn't looking for any religious expression. He is looking for a relationship. And I just need you to know that. Like, Yeah, the problem is, is that you've just created a religion out of your relationship 
theology and your misunderstanding of how gnosko is being used. Part of my job as a pastor is not just to preach and build a church and all of that. Part of my job is I'm like a, I'm like a teacher at a school. I've got to prepare, prepare you for a final exam you're going to have. Like you're going to stand before God one day. Well, I don't believe in God. That's not going to change the fact that you're going to stand before God one day. Indeed, we all will. The Bible calls it the great white throne judgment. And by the way, that day could happen sooner than you think. The best way I can read the scriptures, Jesus could return just about any time he wants. And then all of us, it says both small and great, every human being from Adam to when it all ends is going to stand before God. And I don't know exactly how it's going to work out. But you're going to get your individual day in court. I don't know if we're going to be like in this big old pile of people. And they, I need to see Chris Hodges, please. Yeah, okay. Hey, it's my turn. What's up? You know, like, um, and then it's going to be, it's just going to be like, he's going to say something to the effect of, okay, now why? Why should you be allowed to come in? And trust me, there is no religious answer that's going to work there. It's my job to make sure you get the, the answer to the question right. Like, so, well, I read, a, I memorized most of the New Testament. no. I got baptized. No, I was really nice to a lot of people. No, all those things are good to do. I went to Church of the Highlands. Right, that's it. No, I'm not, no, that's not even right either. I wish it was, but it's not, right? It's, that's, the, ans- the answer is, I wasn't perfect, but I was in love. No. <laughs> that is not the answer. The, the answer is not, I wasn't perfect, but I'm in love. The answer is, I have fallen short, and Christ has bled and died for my sins. And he's given me the gift of faith to believe that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, believes, will not perish, but have eternal life. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved have their sins forgiven and blotted out. So what Chris Hodges has done here in this Easter sermon is preach works righteousness based upon the keeping of the law, and the law requires you to love God. Rather than saying the reason why you need a Savior is because you do not love God as you ought, you need to repent, change your mind, and believe that Christ has bled and died for all of your failure to love God. So he's saying, you've got to, you're not perfect, but you're in love, and that being in love qualifies you for heaven. That's the law. Listen again. It's, that's, the, the answer is, I wasn't perfect, but I was in love. He was my friend, my savior, my God. I, I was in relationship. He's, I'm just telling you, he's looking for that. Just, just to make my case, let me show you two more places. In Matthew 7, uh, 15, it says, Then some Pharisees came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Hey, your disciples are doing it wrong. They're, they're breaking tradition. They're not supposed to worship. Yeah, this is a text of Scripture where the Pharisees, people think that the Pharisees somehow uh, represent in the New Testament Bible-believing Christians who are theologically correct. The, the Pharisees are heretics. They have added to the scriptures, they've made God's word void by adding their own commandments and traditions of men to the scriptures and claim that these are the commands of God when they are not. They are heretics. They've added to the scriptures and they believe that they are saved by their works, by their keeping of the law. That way, 
They're doing it wrong. And by the way, there'll always be a group of religious people who tell you you're doing it wrong. You're not saying, ah, you didn't baptize right. You didn't sing right. No, you're- What's weird is um, Chris Hodges is saying there are a bunch of people who are doing it wrong. That's the funny thing here. That's the irony in this particular sermon. You're not giving right. No, 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 no. They're happy to do that. Trust me, that is not how this thing works. The one they picked on, the Pharisees were picking on his disciples. He says, they're not washing their hands. In their day, they actually had it at the front door of the temple. No, it's not the temple. They had it, they had it in homes. They, uh, this was a wash basin, and the, the command was found in the oral Torah, not the written Torah, of the Pharisees claiming that God had given them a command to wash their hands when they were out among the goyim. A, a basin of water that before you went into church, you basically had to do the ceremonial washing. And not only do a ceremonial washing, but you had to wash the right way. So like when you wash, you couldn't just like wash and water just fall off your hands. No, no, you had to lift up your hands and the water could not drip off the end of your fingers. It had to come off the edge of your elbow. And there was a dude standing there at the front door making sure you did it right. And if water dripped off there, he went, hell, going to hell. You're just going to hell, right? That's that's not even an accurate depiction of the hand-washing ceremony of the Pharisees. I know, it's crazy. And so he says, why? And Jesus comes back and says, are you kidding me? He says, why do you break, watch this, the command of God? Now think about it. What is the command of God? When, when Jesus was asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, that's right. That's a command. That's the command of God. And the reason why we need a Savior is because we don't. That's the problem. Now, let's take a look at Mark 7. Okay. This is the text in question. And notice he's not reading it out from Scripture, which is a vital part of uh, correct teaching of God's Word. Mark 7, when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Tradition of the elders really should be capitalized. That's a body of work that is called the Oral Torah, which the Pharisees had added to Scripture. So when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups, pots, copper vessels, and dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he says this, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is a gift given to God, well, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or your or his mother. Thus, you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So when you look at this in context, you see what's going on. Jesus isn't saying it's you know, that it's your failure to recognize that you're to love God 
No, they, they've added their own commandments and then made void the word of God through their commandments. And the example Jesus gives is their, their belief in this thing called Korban, which then somehow releases a child from caring and honoring their parents when it doesn't. There is no command like that. So let me back this up again just a little bit because here Chris Hodges is pointing people back to the law. He's not pointing them to the gospel, the commandment, and this is the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. When, when Jesus was asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So his commands aren't how many times you came to church or how much you gave or how much you served or how nice you were. or how, No, no, no. Love. Love. Please hear this. Jesus says, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he said, there's going to be a group of people who would honor me with their lips. They'll show up at Easter. They'll come to the church service. They'll raise their hands. They'll sing the songs. They'll pray the prayers. But their hearts, please hear this. This is my job to make sure you understand that he's not looking for that. He's looking for this. Gnosko. Yeah, and that's the thing that condemns us because none of us loves God as we ought and none of us loves our neighbor as ourselves as we ought. It's that commandment that condemns us and shows us our need for a Savior. That is not the gospel. Love God is not the gospel. It is the law. So, yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in deep trouble here. And I, and I mean that in the truest sense. We are in deep trouble because he's preaching the law as if it is the gospel and doing so on Easter Sunday. Now, we're going to pause right there. We're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, the balance of contestant number three for the 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. Chris Hodges. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church.
Welcome to Build-A-God. How can I help you? Hello. I received a Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay-affirming, and sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is, too. Oh, wonderful. Your goddess is coming along beautifully. Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes, my goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent, excellent! Now for the final step, you have to name your goddess. Hmm. I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that loving God is the law, not the gospel. The gospel is that God loved you and sent Christ to bleed and die for your sins. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, Fighting for the Faith. Dot com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. And rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional analog way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we are heading back to Church of the Highlands as Chris Hodges is confusing law and gospel horribly and basically saying that you are saved based upon your love for God, which is the law, not the gospel. And he's doing this on Easter Sunday. We continue. He says, they worship me in vain because their teachings, eh, you just following a bunch of rules man came up with. Let me, let me show you one more just to make sure you're fully convinced that this is really what eternity and Christianity really is all about. In Matthew 25, Jesus does a made up story. It's called a parable. So he just makes up a story to tell a spiritual truth because people understand things better with stories. So he said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, now notice he's talking about heaven, will be like 10 virgins. And that's what most people think Christianity is all about. They think it's just about, actually, it, I call it a 51% heaven. I just need to be a, mostly good than bad. I just need to tip the scales. Like, so they, everybody thinks. All right, we're going to have to spend some time in this parable. This is a parable which can be confusing if you don't get the, uh, the pieces of it correct. Now, here's the idea, is that salvation is clearly stated in Scripture to be by grace through faith apart from works. Let me give you a text on this so that uh, we have something to work from, because the idea then is is that God doesn't contradict himself. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, says, You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. This is most certainly true. So we're born dead in trespasses and sins, and by nature children of wrath, because we've rebelled against God. So God, though, being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now here comes the text. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So here's the idea. And that is is that it explicitly says that we are saved by grace through faith. It is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works. So that we can just take works righteousness right off the table as far as what saves us as we work through uh, the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins. So here's what it says. Then the kingdom of heaven, that, that, this is Matthew 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps, went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. Okay? So you'll note, every one of them is a virgin. How is that possible? Well, Christ has bled and died for the sins of the world. But that does not mean that everybody is saved. But everybody is bled for, everybody is died for, but that does not mean that everybody has faith. So we make a distinction biblically then between what is called objective universal justification and that Christ has died for the sins of the whole world. This is most certainly true. And then what's called subjective justification, which is this idea that not everybody is saved. Although everyone is bled for, everybody is died for, that does not mean that everybody is saved. So everybody's a virgin in that sense because Christ has bled and died for them, but not everybody has faith. So they fall asleep. Five were wise, five were foolish. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as their bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. So here's the idea. They all sleep. That means they've died. This is a picture of the last day then at the day of the resurrection. They all die. Now you either die with oil in your lamp or you die without oil in your lamp. Everybody dies a virgin. So the question is, what's the oil? Answer, if salvation is by grace through faith alone apart from works, then the oil is faith. You either die believing or you die unbelieving. And that's the difference between whether or not you have oil in your lamp or not. So as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come to meet him. And then all those virgins rose. They rose. Yeah, that's the picture of the resurrection. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers. Buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, I truly, I say to you, I don't know you. I don't, I don't know you. And important to note here is that the Greek word for know here is not gnosko. It's oida. I don't know you. So you can't say, well, look, it says no right there. It's got to be gnosko. No, it's Oida in this text. So truly I say to you, I do not know you. So watch there for you, for you know neither the day nor the hour. All right. So that's a, you know a, a proper way of understanding this parable. 
Let's listen to what Chris Hodges does with this because it's absolutely miserable. This is all about how, much, how pure and how right you can be. He was a good person, right? And they took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were wise. Now, Jesus is going to bait you into a discussion that's not even what it's all about. It's so funny the way he talks and tells his story. The foolish one took their lamps because the foolish ones thought lamps and even the wise ones thought the lamps was the deal. The, the lamps, but did not take any oil with them. They didn't, they didn't do enough. They didn't serve enough. They didn't memorize scripture enough. They didn't. Yeah, that's not it at all. The oil has to do with whether or not you have faith. Scripture is clear. Your salvation is by grace through faith alone. That being the case, the, the oil has to be faith. The wise, however, took oil in their joys along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming. Now, Jesus is talking about himself here. I'm the bridegroom and my bride is the church and I'm coming back one day and we're all waiting for him. And they became drowsy because he took so long and fell asleep. And at midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Hey, he showed up. And by the way, there's going to be a cry ring out one day. A trumpet's going to blast and Jesus is going to return. And they're going, we're either going to meet him or you're not going to meet him, right? That's going to happen. And then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps because they all think it's about lamps or being virgins. And No, they were all made virgins. <laughs> and they trimmed their lamps. The issue is the oil. Do you believe or not believe? And the foolish ones said to the wise, now Jesus doesn't say it. They say it to each other. Hey, we need more oil. And if we're going to get into that wedding party, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They said, I don't think so. You're not having any of our oil. There may not be enough for both of us. Hey, go buy more oil. Go memorize more scripture. Go attend more services. Go to. Yeah, that's not what the text is about. You've totally misunderstood and mis misinterpreted what the oil is. Go to church more. Be a nicer person. Go buy some stuff for yourself. But while they were going to try to do more works, do more things, get more oil, the bridegroom came and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Watch this. This is so cool. And later the others came back banging on the door. Lord, Lord, sir, sir, let us in. And he replies, I tell you the truth. I can't because, and I didn't give you the rest. Because if you don't know the scripture, you'd think the next line would be because you weren't virgin enough. No. <laughs> or... You are supposed to get more oil. I need more works out of you. He doesn't say that. No. Or actually, that's oh, because you fell asleep. Man, you shouldn't have fallen asleep. I know it was a long time coming, but you shouldn't have fallen asleep. He doesn't say that either. Watch what he says. He baits us into all these things that we think eternity is all about. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The reason why they couldn't come in had nothing to do with virginity or oil or any of that. I tell you the truth. I didn't. And he uses the word again. I was looking for intimacy. He doesn't use the word gnosko. Nope. He uses the word oida. But he answered, truly I say to you, uk oida humas. Oida, not gnosko. I do not know you. And oida is to have information about or to know uh-huh, that's its primary definition, to be acquainted with or to stand in a close relationship, to know, to understand, to be able, to grasp the meaning of, to understand or to recognize. So it's not gnosko, it's oida. So what Chris Hodges said there, he uses the word again, he was re referencing the word gnosko. No, Jesus doesn't use the word gnosko, 
he uses the word oida. Closeness. Relationship. And I am more passionate about this message than anything. Because I think this is what Christianity is all about. It's not an institution. We're not an organization. The church is an institution instituted by Christ. We are people in love with a very living God. Amen, everybody. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Do you love him enough? Because the requirement of love when it comes to loving God is that you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If thinking, well, I'm trying. Yeah, every sin that you commit proves that you do not love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the law that condemns you, not the gospel that comforts you. And you, and you know, and you know when you're not in love because some things happen. Like you'll sense powerlessness when you're not in love. Because if you don't know Him, then you don't know His power. But if you'll know him, you'll kn- you'll sense powerlessness. Which text says that? I'm not familiar with that. Know his power. I mean, when you get God, you get the ability to overcome a cocaine addiction like David did. Know God. David overcame. A, maybe he's referring to somebody in his congregation. No power. Some of you had the symptom of the frustration of trying to do good things. Like you're trying to, you're trying to obey the Bible, but you're thinking this book is hard. It is hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. If you're not in love, it's if you're not in love again, you're using intimacy talk here. Okay. My love for Christ is not the same as my love for my wife. Yeah. Wow. This is weird. But if you're in love, it'll be the easiest thing you've ever done. It'd be like trying to be faithful to your wife, but you don't like her, right? (laughs) Like, Oh my goodness, this is so hard. Yeah, best thing to do is not try to be faithful. Best thing to do is get back in love. And then you want to be faithful. You don't have to be, you get to be. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing this? So important. Yeah, the issue is is that these people have not loved God as they should. And that means they've sinned. And they need to hear that Christ has bled and died for that. In fact, let me say it this way. The Bible is incredibly difficult unless you're in love. Oh yeah, so it just becomes super easy to keep the law... All you got to do is be be in love, but the law the law commands you to love. Wow! As First John says, when you're in love, his commands are no longer burdensome. It is the easiest, most delightful thing I can do to serve my God. Some people have this symptom that you're envying others who actually are closer than you. In fact, some of you have been close to God, and your fire has kind of gone out. You've you've lost your first love, and it's time for you to get back to a closeness. With God again. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this is great. But what in the world does this have to do with Easter? Do you have any good news to proclaim to these people? Because what you're proclaiming is the law. It's not the gospel. Let me show you the verse that started the whole message for me this year. It's, it's found right here in Philippians where Paul says, I want to, and then he uses the word. I want to gnosko. I want to get intimately close relationally with Christ. And when. Yeah, you know, that's kind of weird. Um, It's like you're ignoring the other part of that passage. Um, Hmm, yeah, let's see here. I have suffered the loss. I've found, uh uh-huh. I might know him. Yeah, it's Gnosko. All right, so the text in question is uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Now, the funny part here is that this is a passage 
that explicitly teaches that we're saved by grace, not by our keeping of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the weird part. So uh, yeah, so Paul writes in Philippians 3, 2, so we'll apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And Paul writes, look out for the dogs, talking about the, the Pharisees, the, the, the group of the Pharisees that had come into Christianity, and were saying, you're not saved unless you are circumcised. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the Torah, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is from God that depends on Faith, not love, faith, so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So faith is the means by which we know God then, gnosko him. But Chris Hodges isn't teaching faith and belief. He's teaching salvation by intimacy, by love. And that's the law. I want to gnosko. I want to get intimately close relationally with Christ. And when I do, when I get close to him, I will experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Like you can't find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference until you first know God. And that, my friend... Can't find purpose, discover freedom, and whatever. Yeah, this is a different Christianity altogether. This isn't biblical Christianity. This isn't the gospel, and this message can't save you. It, it actually will damn you if you believe this. Friends, is what Easter is all about. This wasn't a holiday where you're supposed to eat candy and celebrate somebody else's resurrection. No, no, no. God doesn't just want us to celebrate the resurrection. He wants us to have a resurrection all our own. Come on, somebody. Y'all believe that today? I'm serious. I'm very serious about it. So let's bring it to a close and talk about how. So then how? If I wanted to get closer to God, Chris, what are the steps? Let me take just a couple, two or three minutes to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You know, something like that. Tell you how. Here's step number one. And that is you fall in love with God by realizing first how much he already loves you. All right. So tell me about how much he loves me. Unfortunately, too many people think that God is waiting for you to behave yourself before he'll accept you. Does the cross have any bearing on whether or not God loves me? And would that be an example of it? I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, you do not have to get your act together to get to God. You're going to have to get to God so you can get your act together. 
And that even in your mess, even with what you know you did last night and your thoughts you had this week, if he had a refrigerator, your picture would still be on it. In fact, let me say it this way. Look in my eyes and hear this. He's thinking about you right now. He's How about that text in Romans? God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Why don't we go there? He's not wanting more works. He doesn't want more virginity and more oil. He wants you. He wants you. And he wants you so much that before you would even choose him, he chose you. Before you even would accept him, he decided to lay out his arms, take nails in his hands and feet, and pay the price of a sin that you committed. All right, so we're getting something of the gospel here. But finally, so God sent Jesus to bleed and die for a sin that I committed. That's true. So note that that part right there is the gospel. That you were supposed to pay for, and I was supposed to pay for. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. And there it, we go. There we go. And you should read out the rest of it. While God demonstrates his love for us. Glad he finally gets to the gospel. Let's see if he stays on this. And every time I think about how much he loves me, like no one loves me that much. No one. Greater love has no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends, he calls you. Not Right. That's, again, that's the gospel. But that's the thing we're called to believe. Yeah. Not servants, not slaves, not projects. You're his friend. And that's why First John says we love because he first loves us. Right. Keep going. Here's the second thing. If you wanted to go after God, you want this Gnosko thing. It really is found secondly in doing something that all relationships require. And that is pursuit. Uh, what? So if you want somebody, you have to go after them. When I, when I wanted my wife, Tammy, to notice me, I, I took her out and I gave her some chocolate and some roses and some meals and all this incredibly good looks. And she had no other choice at that point. Right. And, <laughs> but I pursued her. Right. And, and that's what all of us do. Listen to me. You may not know this about God, but God likes to be chased. God loves to be pursued all throughout the scripture. He says, seek me. Yeah, he does. But in three passages within the Bible, two in the Old Testament, one in the New, God says this about sinful humanity. Um, Here's what it says. Uh, Romans 3, verse 9, uh, which he's going to end up quoting Psalm 14 as well as Psalm 53, says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, that both Jews and Greeks, they're under sin, as it is written, and listen to this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They together become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So, Yeah, you're not really helping these people and you're not bringing them to repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life, which then leads to intimate knowledge of God and love for him. Me, Seek me, like come after me, right? Go after me. In fact, Jeremiah says, you will seek me and you'll find me if you just come after me with all your heart. What would it look like? Here's my question for you. What would it look like if this were the year you decided 
I ain't, I'm not going to play on the fringes anymore. I'm not putting my toe in the Christian world. I'm going all in. I'm going to go after God and see if that preacher's right. I'm going to see if that Bible's right. You're going to go all in. No, you won't. If you say you're going all in, you're lying. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to find on the other side is the most incredible life. In fact, the way we say it around here is give us a year. Just you put it to the test. Give us a year of your life where you do everything we, we recommend in our programming to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, and I'll guarantee it. In fact, if God doesn't change your life in a year, I'll change churches with you. I'll go with you, right? Like, it's going to happen. I promise you it's going to happen. And you ask anybody who has made that decision. In fact, just as a show of hands, let's just see if I'm telling the truth. Well, oh, this is risky. Well, let's just see if it's right. How many of you guys, I made you that promise and you took the steps and you went all in and God's changed your life. Lift your hand, lift your hand, lift your hand. Look around, look around. You're seeing lies. Come on, everybody. That have been changed by people. This is like an Amway presentation. People who went all in with God. I'm telling you. So here's the last one, and that is you not only love him because he loves you. He's not mad at you. He's in love with you. You chase after him and pursue him. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, trying to prompt them to make decisions of one kind or another. But all relationships require commitment, every single one of them. You're going to be committed to a sports team, a wife, a job, a husband. You've got, at some point, you've got to say, all right, I don't fully understand it. I mean, when I got married, I didn't fully understand marriage. But I just made the commitment and said, okay, let's figure this thing out. But I'm giving you my life. And some of you need to cross the line of faith today. Some of you need to cross the line of faith. Notice here that what little he said about the gospel He's trying to convince people to make a decision. He's not, he didn't preach the gospel to the Christians who were there on Easter Sunday. Nope, they weren't here. It's only really being preached, or mentioned, I should say. It's not really being preached. It's being mentioned as applying to the people who haven't yet crossed the line of faith. I'm not even asking you to join this church. You just need to cross the line of faith today, and you need to give Jesus your life. No, the good news is that Christ gave his life. For us, give him your life. And Jesus said it this way: that if you try to hang on to your own life, so you decide not to, you're going to lose it anyway. That's not what he meant. And some of you know what I'm talking about because that's how you feel right now. But if you'll give up your life for my sake, what you're going to find out is the great thing on the other side. So let me close by giving you an illustration. And I like to think, I like to think, especially among you men, that my man card is pretty high. Well, this may totally destroy that. Um, I like musicals. Ha, there you go. All right. So anyway, yeah. And so please don't think bad of me. I have a truck and I turkey hunt. Okay. Does that help? All right. So, um, but I grew up playing classical music. I was classically trained. Um, and so I enjoy watching a good musical. I know it's uh, anyway. So, um, but one of my favorite helps me illustrate what I'm trying to say to you. Now, you probably have seen it either at a high school play or on Broadway or, or the movie version of Fiddler on the Roof. But a great story of this Jewish family set in Tsarist Russia in the early 1900s. And this guy named Tevya has five, yes, five daughters. Help him, Lord Jesus, all right? And in their Jewish tradition... 
daddy, it's all arranged marriages. So when they get old enough to marry, he goes to the matchmaker and they set the thing up. That's where the song, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, find me a find, catch me a catch. I'll be here all day, folks. Thank you very much. All right, so, <laughs> and so, so it's a musical. So, Well, the problem is the girls fall in love with different guys than dad picks out. And so when they come, he goes, no, tradition, tradition. And he does this. And I don't know why, but he, uh, anyway, so, um, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a, the whole movie is about the clash between love and tradition. During the clash, he wonders if his wife loves him because they were match made. So when the girls aren't around, he goes into the house and his wife's like over there at the, at the stove or ironing or something. And he shuts the door and he comes in and it's a musical. So he sings it. He goes, do you love me? And she looks at him like he's crazy. And she sings back because it's a musical. For 25 years, I've milked your cows. I've cooked your meals. I've, you know, she does, yeah. she does this list of stuff, watch this, that she does for him. And he basically says, I didn't ask you what you do for me. Do you love me? And then she does a whole nother list. I've ironed your clothes. I've washed your floors. She has this list. And I'm telling you, the spirit of God is singing out to the church, especially here in the deep south. where We all can kind of put on the, the list. Do you love me? What do you mean do I love you? I went to Easter at Highlands. Come on, hashtag. I mean, I went there, right? Man, this is aggravating. So God's saying, do you love me? The answer is, no, you don't. That's why he sent Jesus to bleed and to die and to bodily rise from the grave because you don't love God the way you should. You were at enmity with him. I didn't ask where you went to church. I mean, God, I went to a Christian bookstore this this week and I went on a Christian cruise last year. <laughs> yeah, I love you. No devil's food cake, only angel food cake. Yeah, I love you. No. I know what you do for me. But do you, do you love him? No, they don't. They do not love him as they ought. That's why Easter and Good Friday are so important. The Gnosko, trust me, that's what it's all about. The reason why Jesus had to die for your sins is because you don't Gnosko correctly. And then you can find freedom, discover purpose, and live the life God intended. So normally it's where a preacher says, where every head bowed and every eye closed. Every eye open, every head What's the opposite? Unbowed. Okay, there you go. All right, so. And I'd like for you, please, just, just entertain me. Would you, would you grab that white card one more time? Just one more time. I'm almost done. I promise you. Just even if you're not going to do it, just fake it. Just put it up there and just do that. All right. It's fine. Because there's some people who need this. So just play along. Every, even my team, everybody. There's four boxes at the bottom. It's our last survey. A, B, C, D. You are one of those four. If you don't even fill it out, you're still one of the four. So n- now with every head bowed, we're going to f- check a box on the card. And I would love to know which one. I'll put it on my screen right here, and then we're going to pray. A stands for Chris. Trust me, I already know him. I'm in a real relationship with God. That would be your box. B says, I had no idea that this is what it was all about. 
it's time for me to begin a real relationship. I'm not even asking you to join the church. I'm just looking for those who say, Chris, I'd like to begin this relationship. I really think this is what I want. That's what I've been looking for. This is what I needed. This is what I chose. Notice he is not calling them to repent of their sins and to trust alone in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and every transgression of God's law that commanded them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, the solution is you've got, I'm making a commitment to love now. Yeah, I'm sorry. That, that cow left the barn a long time ago. You haven't loved as you ought. That's why you need to repent and to be forgiven. C says, not yet. I need time to consider it a bit more. Um, you got me closer, but I'm not ready yet. You ready for this? I'm fine with that. In fact, I've always dreamed of having a church that didn't just have church people in it. I always dreamed of having a church where, where the skeptic and the person like, don't make me sing or serve or... Is that a, yes, you're so welcomed here. You are very welcome just to come check it all out. Honestly, I enjoy having you here as much as anybody else that is here. I hope you feel as at home in this place. Can I hear a good amen from the Highlands folks? Yeah, I mean, we really believe this. This is, we're passionate about people who are just checking it all out. And D says, no, I don't ever intend to making that decision. So I got drug into here and I can't wait to get out of here. And that's where you are. Have the guts to check it. And whether you like it or not, we're going to pray for you. Every year, every year, people check B and they write underneath. And I was a D last year. And that's because we're going to pray for you. And I couldn't convince you, but God is not going to leave you alone. God's going to continue to speak for, to you. And you just watch what happens in your life. I believe it. I really do believe it. And so at every location, I'm going to invite the campus pastors to come to the stage. And I want you to take your time finishing that card. And when you are finished, bow your head. And then we'll pray. And when your heads are bowed, that'll let us know that you're done so that we can pray. Go ahead, please. So there was a brief mention of the gospel, but it shows up in a step that you've got to do. And at the end of the day, it's all about whether or not, well, do you love God? Yeah, well, the reason I need Jesus is because I haven't. And I still struggle. To love him the way I ought to. I have my sinful nature who still is at war with him. And I have the new man that I am in Christ. Who loves him and strives to walk according to his word. And so I need to hear the gospel as well. But eh, yeah, this was just pure manipulation. And the solution to your sin problem is, is the law. You got to love. That's the reason why Chris Hodges made the cut this year for the 2019 Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. So what do you think? I'd love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.